So yeah, as Ben said, it is Christmas. I think some of us, like me, may have been waiting ever since we took our tree down last year for Christmas to come. So some of us have been waiting a long time, and for some of us it might be a bit too soon. But whether we like it or not, Christmas is here. And it looks beautiful in here. I love the trees. Thank you for the team who put those up. Quick poll, who's already put their tree up? Okay, okay, quite a fair few of you. I am a bit of a Christmas fiend. I love everything to do with Christmas. I love the decorations. I love that I've been driving around in my car this weekend and seen houses lit up and looking beautiful. I love the food. I love the presents. I love everything to do with Christmas. I love Jesus. I love everything to do with Christmas. But there's one thing that does irritate me just a little bit, that we tend to see a bit more at Christmas time than at any other time of the year. And it's something that, it frustrates me, and I know it's kind of my own fault, but it, it really, it just irritates me. Have we got a picture of it, Jess? It's, there's something for you, but we failed to deliver it, a card, that is, it stresses me out. And I know it's my own fault, because really, I should be in when they say they're going to come and deliver things. Or really, I should, you know, not leave things last minute and not have to buy all my Christmas shopping online because I've not done any of it yet. Um, so it's kind of my fault. But when these come through the door and you get home from work and it's landed on the floor, oh, sometimes it just really stresses me out. Sometimes it's really nice and the neighbor's taking it for us. But sometimes they leave li little riddles little clues for you to try and follow, to try and work out where your parcel or where your package has got to. And I've got two examples of these. The first time was a couple of weeks before we got married, me and Rob. We um, ordered some books that we were going to take on honeymoon, some marriage books, how to start your marriage right, how to involve Jesus in your marriage from the start, all of these good books. And uh, we'd ordered them to Rob's house. And when we came back, there was just this letter, this note we'd been out, and it said, left in the front garden. And we must have hunted in that front garden for the best part of an hour, maybe, looking to try and find these books. We were looking in the bushes, we were looking under the cars, we were looking everywhere on this front garden, which isn't huge, to try and find these books. And we did not find them. So I think, you know, if there's anything that ever goes wrong in our marriage, now, Rob, we can put it down to the fact that there was a failed delivery of those books. But about six months later, Rob's mum called us to say, you'd never guess what, I've found the books. They were in the electrical box, which was like, you had to turn the knob thing to open it and put it in. Why didn't they just say it was in the electrical box? I don't know. Um, so that was mystery number one. Mystery number two is a Christmas-themed delivery mystery because about two, two or three years ago, um, I ordered my dad a coffee machine for Christmas. And I know I, I wasn't in, so it's my own fault. But I came back from work, and on the floor there was this delivery note, which said, uh, sorry we missed you. Sorry we missed you, very polite. Um, we've left your parcel in your wheelie bin. Now, bearing in mind, at this time, we lived in a terraced house, which was... We were about 10 houses down from the end, and all the wheelie bins are at the back. So we were like, how, have you counted down the houses? How do you know which one is our wheelie bin? So I went in and then went through to the back of the house and then realized, actually, it was bin day that day. And Rob, 
very kindly, had put the bin out that morning. And I went out trying, trying to find our bin, and our bin was there, but obviously had been emptied. So the conundrum, and I will take this to my grave, never knowing what happened to this coffee machine. Either it went in the bin that was half full and ended up in the rubbish lorry, or someone took it out of our empty bin. I don't know. To this day, I still don't know. That is one of the mysteries, life's great mysteries. But don't worry, Dad did get a coffee machine. We wrote a strongly worded email, and uh, we got a, what do you call it, replacement coffee machine. So all was well. Christmas wasn't ruined. Um, but the reason why I'm telling you these stories, these are examples of people who have tried to deliver something and for whatever reason, it's failed. The message hasn't got through. And the whole point, the whole message of my preach this morning is to tell you that we have received a gift. We've received a message of hope. And we have been entrusted to deliver that message also. So I'm going to come back to that a little bit later on. Um, but like Ben said, this, um, this Christmas time, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at different Christmas carols and taking some inspiration from them. And this week, we're looking at Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which I love this song. You, you know it's Christmas when you hear Hark the Herald. You can't, you can't not feel Christmassy when you hear this song. And it's a hymn that is actually written in 1739. Uh, by Charles Wesley, who was a leader of the Methodist Church at the time. And he wrote these lyrics, which may have been adapted slightly to the version that we sung this morning. Um, but the, the verses are still the same. Hark the herald angels sing. And it was all um, took his inspiration from uh, the scripture Luke 2, verse 8 to 14, which I think we should have on the screen. And he took his inspiration from the time when the angels um, met the shepherds. So we'll just read this out to you. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. You know it's Christmas when you're talking about watching over flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then this is the bit that the hymn sings about. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So we have this image, this wonderful image of the sky just filling with angels proclaiming the birth of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon I must have sung Hark the Herald Angels at least, say like two, three times a year, at least for most of my life. I must have sung this song nearly, what, more than 50 times, I reckon. And I can probably sing all the words to it. But do I really know what some of these words mean? Or do I just know it because that's what I've always sung? So I thought I'll do a bit of digging. I'll have a bit of a look into this song and see what some of these words mean. And I didn't really get very far because I realized I didn't know what hark meant. <laughs> so 
the learner in me, I had to stop after Hark. I hoped I would have got further, but I didn't. Hark, so I had to look up what that meant. And it is an old English word, which means to knock. Hark means to knock. It means to attract attention. Which I think it's a bit of a shame that we don't really use it now. To attract attention. How, how cool would it be? You know, you're in the supermarket, you've lost someone, you can see them in the distance. Hark! I think... I think it would be such a cool thing to try and bring that back. I think we should try and reclaim Hark this year. I think you have to be quite confident to do that. So that's what Hark means. And then I proceeded on, but not much further because I realized I didn't know what Herald meant either. I've been singing this song for years and years and years, and I haven't got a clue what it meant. Um, so Herald means a person or thing viewed as a sign that something is about to happen. So, hark the Herald angels sing means, can we have your attention? Something is about to happen. The angels had an important announcement to make. Something was about to happen. And what was that announcement? The announcement was that there is a newborn king. Jesus is born. And because of that, we have peace on earth. Because of that, God and sinners are reconciled. God and sinners now have good relationship again. And the exciting thing is that that message is still completely true today. Nothing has changed about that. That message that the angels were singing about, the message of Jesus being born and him being the the thing that brings us back together with God, that is still true today. And we know more of the story. We know that Jesus then went on to perform miracles. He went on to die for our sins as we remembered in communion and came back to life so we wouldn't have to live with our sin anymore. We know more of the story, but the message is still the same. Jesus has come. Now we have peace. Now we have joy. Now we have hope. And it's this message that we are entrusted, first of all, to receive for ourselves, but also to carry around with us and to deliver to those around us. We are entrusted to deliver this message. And we read about this in Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Uh, you might be familiar with this as the Great Commission. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, yeah, sorry. Uh, went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In this scripture, we are entrusted with the message of Jesus. We are entrusted to go and make disciples, to go and tell people about the message of salvation, about the message of hope. 
we're entrusted to deliver that message. And just like the Royal Mail man or Amazon man or, or lady or whoever it is that comes to deliver your post and comes to deliver your messages and your gifts, there are a couple of stages and parts of the process that we have to go through in order to deliver something. Now, I feel like I have a little bit of an authority in this area, that I have a little bit of a mantle upon me because my dad has worked for the Royal Mail for over 30 years. So, you know, this isn't empty words. There's a bit of wisdom in what I'm going to say today. So this is for my dad. The first stage of the delivery process is collection. You can't deliver something that you don't possess yourself. You have to take hold of the message of Jesus. You have to hold it. You have to live it. You have to experience it if you are going to pass it on to someone else. You can't deliver what you haven't got. Unless you experience salvation for yourself. Unless you experience the peace and the joy and the hope that Jesus brings, how are you going to tell someone else about that? How are you going to convey that to someone else? So in order for us to be able to deliver and to tell other people, we first need to receive that message of Jesus. So how do we receive it? Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9 says, For it is grace... Oh, sorry, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So how do we receive from God? We receive through faith. We receive by believing that God is who he says he is and that I am who God says I am. And that Jesus came and did the things that we read about in the Bible. That is how we receive from God. Through faith alone. Not by works. There is nothing that you can do that will make you receive more from God. There's no amount of serving that you can do or giving that you can do which will make you receive or make you able to receive more from God. It is through faith. From God. It's through grace that he gives that to us so we can't boast about it. We'd like to, but we can't. It's all from God. Have you ever had um, this experience where you you see something or you buy a present for someone and you think they are going to love that? And you just see something and you think, I need to get that for them. I really want to bless them with that. That's That they're going to love it. And you take it and you buy it and you wrap it and you have this present and you're looking forward to giving it to someone and then you give them the present and they say you shouldn't have done that what have you done that for and they almost meet you with a bit of hostility like why on earth have you bought me a present in my family that tends to be my dad or my granddad tends to say why have you given me this present and then not only do you then have to fight to give them the present in the first place You almost have to dump it on them and run so that they haven't got the opportunity to reject it even more. 
But then they'll start saying, oh, let me give you some money for it. Or they'll say, oh, you know, let me, I'll, I'll get something for you later on. Or I, I haven't got anything on me to be able to repay you for this gift at the moment. And all of a sudden, this moment that you thought was going to be full of such joy and such happiness, you just leave thinking, what was the point in that? Where is the, where is the happiness and where was the joy in that? And sometimes I think that that's what we can be like with God. I think God has got such wonderful gifts for us. And sometimes we have such difficulty in receiving them. For whatever reason, we kind of put up those barriers and we think, I can't possibly receive this. I need to do something in return in order to be able to receive this. So I need to give something in order to be worthy of receiving this gift. And I think God wants to challenge us this morning to be able to receive from him a bit better. To be more open to receiving from God. Not to feel guilty about asking God for things. Not to feel guilty about receiving the peace, the hope and the joy that he has for us. Um, I've got a quote from St. Augustine who says, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are often too full to receive them. God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are often too full to receive them. So I suppose my question is, what are you holding on to that might be stopping you receiving from God? What are your hands full of? at the moment that is stopping you from receiving from God. Maybe it's just busyness. Maybe you're holding on to tasks and to-do lists and trying to be in control of things. Maybe you just can't let some of that stuff go and that's what's stopping you from receiving from God. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's pride and wanting to think that actually we can do everything on our own, and maybe we don't need God to help us out. Maybe that's a bit of an issue. Or um, this is a bit of a thinker. Maybe you are holding on to what God might have told you in the past. Maybe you're holding on to what God did for you in a season of your life, maybe months, maybe years ago, and it's not bad to hold on to those things, but maybe you're holding on to them so tight that you're missing what God is trying to do with you now. Maybe you're missing what God is trying to give you and tell you in this season because you're holding on so tightly to what he's given you in the past. How can you open your hand a little bit more this morning? What is it that you can loosen up? What is it that you can let go of just that little bit so that you can receive more from God today. Because you can't pass on what you haven't received yourself. You know that there are people that need joy and love and peace, but you can't pass that on until you are receiving it from God yourself. So that was collection. The, um, the next stage in the delivery process is transportation. And this is where my dad comes in because he's a HGV driver. So he's been transporting our goods for over 30 years. And it was the coolest moment ever when he actually pulled up outside our house because he left some important document or something when I was a kid, pulled up in his big HGV outside our house to come and collect something and let me sit in the front of it. And that was a super cool moment of my childhood. On to another super cool moment of my childhood. 
Because when we were in primary school, we had a Christmas post service that ran through school. And as you went in the reception area, there was this big post box, although actually I've probably grown a bit since then, so there's a big post box. Um, and you could put your gifts and your cards into the post box. And then the week before Christmas, two pupils were chosen from year six, two pupils who had been good, they could be the Christmas delivery people, the, the post boy and post girl of the school. And one day I was chosen for this task, which was, you know, the bee's knees in itself. I already felt good about myself, but <laughs> just to make it even more super cool, we got to wear a sash that had, I can't even remember what it had on it, but I just remember wearing this sash and thinking, I have made it <laughs> in life. I'm very important, don't you know? And me and this uh, other child, we would then open the, the post box and we'd split up all the cards and the gifts into the different classrooms. We'd plan our route and we'd know where to go. It was only a tiny primary school, but it felt like a, a huge mission to go on. And we went through, we went to the classrooms and we passed these cards and these gifts on to the children. And we were kind of playing this game as we were delivering the gifts. You could say, oh, I wonder what that is. You know, it's, it's round or it's square. I wonder what's in there as we pass them on. And we never found out what they were, but we had fun playing the game. We never found out what those gifts were. And I think sometimes we, we can receive from God, we can receive salvation. And it's not like that's a gift that has to stay wrapped for you to pass on to someone else. But that is a gift that you get to experience in its fullness. You get to unwrap it and experience it for yourself as you are waiting to pass it on to somebody else as well. The message of the gospel is a gift that we get to experience as we carry it around with us. And as we journey through life, we get to experience its power and effect. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Sounds a bit painful. But actually, this scripture is saying that the word of God is alive and active. When you receive the message of Jesus, when you receive salvation, it becomes alive and active in you. It is doing a work within you. It gets to work on some of those attitudes that are maybe not right in you. It gets to work in some of the parts of your soul that aren't healthy for you and it encourages um, the good stuff in you to grow and develop too. So when we accept Jesus, the word gets to work. It's actively cutting back my attitudes. It's actively doing a work within me. And I think sometimes we can get discouraged because we might not see instant change. We might accept Jesus and kind of go through life a little bit and not see, my life's not getting really easy. <laughs> or I'm not becoming so much of a better person straight away. But we have to trust that there is change going on. It's like with, um, with children, with small children, you might not notice, well, in fact, you won't really notice any difference from one day to the next. They still look the same. 
They still look about the same length. They still look about the same size from one day to the next. But if you step back over the course of a year or a month even and see how much change has happened in that time, you can be blown away by how much change can happen in that time. So just because you aren't seeing change necessarily how you want to see it on that day-to-day basis, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. God is doing a good work within you. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, God's word does not return void. That means that once we receive God's word, once we receive the message of God, we can trust that it is doing a good work in us. It's not going to go back to God having not done anything within us. It is working to change us for the better. As someone who um, understood that the more of Jesus we have in our life, the better, was John the Baptist. And in John 3 verse 30, He sums this up. He says, he must become greater. I must become less. Which initially, when I kind of look at this scripture, makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. I must become less. Makes me feel like, you know, getting smaller or getting looked down on it. Sometimes it can make me feel a bit uncomfortable, the thought of me having to get smaller. But when I think about it, and I think about me, and we can all do this, I realize that actually the good things about me, so when I'm being loving, when I'm being kind, when I'm being generous, all that stuff comes from Jesus. All that stuff is Christ in me. And when I think of myself apart from Christ, when I think of myself just as the human soul that I am, I realize actually that's where my frustrations come from. That's where my anger comes from. That's where my desire to sin and to maybe not do things right comes from. And so really when I break it down and think about it, the more Jesus increases within me, the better person I am because God is good and God is love and everything that is good comes from God. And I want more of that in my life. He increases within us when we listen to his voice over ours. He increases within us when we maximize the power and the volume of Jesus' voice in our lives. And this is something that only really comes about sometimes when we go through difficulties, when we go through trials. That's when the challenge comes to hear Jesus' voice above our own. Because actually, when we're going through the really good times, when everything's going well in life, you know, when we've absolutely loving life, then really our voice tends to be the same as Jesus. We tend to think, oh, you know, you're doing really well. Everything's going great. You know, God loves me. And we, we can be really positive about things. But actually, when we go through difficult times, when we go through trials, that's when my voice sounds really different to Jesus. So, for example, when um, I was coming up to leaving high school, I had a careers meeting with some careers guide that had never met me before, but spent half an hour with me, and I was telling her about my dream of becoming a doctor, and this is what I wanted to do, and I'd worked really hard to try and um, get, you know, get my application together. And she told me, she said, I don't think you should apply for this. I don't think you'll be able to cope academically 
with, with it. I don't think you'll be able to cope with it. That's what she told me. And I had my application kind of ready to go on Newcastle. That that's what, was what she was telling me. And I went home, and I just had a bit of a moment of almost panic, like, what else am I going to do with my life? This is what I had my heart set on doing. What what else shall I do? And I kind of started looking at other courses. I was like, no, this, this isn't what I want. But in my heart, I was starting to think, well, what if I, maybe I can't do this. I can't do this. But then listening to Jesus' voice within me, he was telling me that actually you can do this. He was telling me that you can do it because I'm with you now and I'm going to be with you every single step of the way and every single day in medical school. I'm going to be with you then too. So I had the choice. Am I going to listen to my voice? Am I going to listen to Jesus' voice? And I'm glad that I listened to Jesus' voice. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in Stoke. I would be somewhere. I don't know where I'd be. Let's not think about that. And also, you know, when we go through these difficulties, when we go through these challenges, that's when it's the choice. Do we listen to God's voice? Do we listen to Jesus' voice? Or do we listen to ours? For example, when, when I say panic, God says peace. When I said I should give up, God says you can do it because I'm with you. When I say that I'm scared, he says you can trust me, it's okay. And when I say that I'm not good enough, he says that he chose me that he predestined me, he chose me. So the journey of discipleship is choosing to follow Jesus' voice in our lives. And that only really comes from going through some stuff in life. Making his voice, his message, the greatest thing in our life. Discipleship is allowing him to increase within us daily. And as we transport and carry around this message of Jesus, we will then see transformation within our own lives too. So we, we can receive the message of Jesus. We can transport the message of Jesus. But the third and the last thing, part of the process is that we are entrusted to deliver the message of Jesus. Because it is the most amazing message it is the most fantastic news, the, the gospel that we, that we have salvation, that we have a place in heaven, that we have a relationship with Jesus is the most amazing news. And it's our responsibility to share that with others. But as we read, when we read the, the scripture, the Great Commission, the, this message is for everyone. It says, go to all nations, all nations. That even includes my street and my job and my workplace. That includes everyone who I meet every day. We have a responsibility to share the news and to share the message of Jesus with. And sometimes it can feel like such an overwhelming task that we say, you know, I, I, what's the point? I can't really make a difference here. But can I just remind you that someone once told you about Jesus whether it was one person, whether it was a couple of people over time, someone told you about Jesus. And aren't you so glad that they did? It might seem like a huge task, 
but it's about the one-to-one conversations about Jesus. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, But in your heart revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I feel like this scripture kind of gives us a bit of a key. What are people looking for? What are people noticing that's different? It's hope. It's hope. People notice hope. They might not, you know, be bothered by the fact that you go to church, but they're bothered by the fact that we've all received some really bad news and you're not panicking like everyone else. They want to know what you have in your life that means that you can hope, that you can be positive, that you can have faith despite some of the things that might come your way. So, you know, if we want to share this news with people, we have to be people who speak hope. We have to be people who live hope. We have to demonstrate hope for people. And then when it says, always be prepared to give an answer. When I was thinking about this, I think... Maybe, maybe you feel this way too, but sometimes I feel like unless I have, you know, a completely succinct and concise, theologically sound, evidence-based, you know, reason for why Jesus existed as a man and walked on the earth, then I'm not going to convince anyone to believe in him. And sometimes we can think, well, I don't know enough, or I'm not a good a communicator, or I'm not, you know, clued up enough on everything to be able to tell someone about Jesus. Somebody else can do it much better than I can. But I just want to encourage you this morning that the most powerful thing that you can do is to share your story. The most powerful thing that you can do is to share your story. Because people can argue with uh, statements. They can argue with facts. Even believe me, I'm a doctor. People can argue when you tell them what's good for them. They can argue with that. But what they won't argue with is your story, is what has happened to you, is the experience that you have lived and you have breathed yourself. Just sharing, well, you want to know what's different? This is how I would have reacted before. But actually, now I've met Jesus and now I'm learning about Jesus. This is how I want to react now. This is how I'm choosing to react. Just so simple as to share actually what God has been doing in your life. Um, I've got another quote from Anthony DeMello. He says, a lost coin is found by means of a candle. The deepest truth is found by means of a simple story. The deepest truth is found by means of a simple story. And you know, we've recently comes the end of our series on the parables that was Jesus using simple stories to convey deep truth we don't have to overcomplicate this we just have to tell the story of what Jesus has done in our lives that's all he is asking us to do and to do it with gentleness and respect so I suppose my, my challenge to you is why don't you 
pray for someone to ask you about the hope that you have this week. I'm not, you know, that someone would notice someone different about something different about you. That maybe you would face something and people would see that you're reacting a bit differently. Why don't we pray for an opportunity for that this week? I will if you will. Because at the moment, there really is no better time. There is, well, there is never a better time to tell someone about Jesus than now. That's always true. But kind of practically with everything that we've got going on here at church as well, we've got the greatest show, we've got the carol service, we've got family service coming up. Now is a great time to tell someone about Jesus. So let's give it a go. So just to bring things to a close, this morning I've spoken on the fact that we have a gift. We have a message of hope that we have been entrusted to deliver. My questions for you, first of all, is have you received it? Have you received that message of hope? Have you received Jesus this morning? My second question is, are you carrying that message with you? Have you left it on the side or are you carrying that message of Jesus with you? Are you letting him do a work within you and transform you? And last of all, who are you delivering it to? Let's pray that we would have opportunity to share that message, to share our story with others. So, just to finish and in a bit of a response um, I'm going to ask the band to come up and join me if that's alright but we're not going to sing straight away you know as I said and as Ben said a bit earlier on we are looking at these hymns these songs these carols in a bit more detail and trying to find some inspiration from them and actually as I was reading through the words to hark the herald angels sing There is so much truth within them. There is so much encouragement within these words, explaining the message of Jesus that is available for us um, today and that is available for us to deliver to other people. So what I thought we'd do, if it's okay, if I can just ask you to stand. We'll see how this goes. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. But I'm just going to read through the first two verses of Hark the Herald Angels. And as I do, I want you to kind of imagine that scene of the angels appearing, filling the sky, this amazing and magnificent event that happened. And I want you to appreciate that it is that message that we have today. It is that message that is open and available for us today so if you'd just like to close your eyes I'll read and then the band can play for us hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners are reconciled 
joyful, all the nations rise and join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king.